Hello, and thank you for tuning in live. Today is Sunday, February 5th at 1 p.m., and you are currently watching the Skill Building Sunday Drawing Group, episode number 96. Um, and I am your host, Jason Leeser. And if this is working for you, please let us know in the comments and please tag a friend who loves tattoos. Help us get the word out, help spread the love. Uh, we're always looking for new people to join us here. And welcome to Gaia Aitchison's Reinventing the Tattoo Community, where tattooers, apprentices, collectors, and the curious are encouraged to join in these live streams, real world events to share and inspire, and ultimately create better art and tattoos together. We beam out nearly every day and with your help have evolved into a quality network of amazing live and on-demand tattoo and art shows that have all been receiving rave reviews. You can find us in both the app stores, the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store, as well as our Reinventing the Tattoo YouTube channel, our Reinventing the Tattoo Roku channel, which has 12 to 15 episodes of a couple of different shows going at any given time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also find us in all of the major podcast directories, such as Apple and Spotify, or you can just search for Reinventing the Tattoo and you'll find it all, except for the book, of course, that's out of print. Um, but no matter where you were watching live or on demand, you can always get the latest and greatest information and all the most up-to-date relevant schedules at www.reinventingthetattoo.com. You can try it out for free. You can pick one of a couple of different things. We've got some sample webinars from the Reinventing the Tattoo Canon. Uh, we've got some free advice from Guy Aitchison about, you know, goal setting. And we've got a comprehensive tattoo history course from Jay Brown, all of which are absolutely incredible. Um, and you get one for free just to try it out. We also have a live event schedule with full weekly and special event live stream details, all available at reinventingthetattoo.com. And you can access the Reinventing the Tattoo 24-7 channel once again, all from reinventingthetattoo.com. It's kind of like the Roku channel. It's got 13 episodes of different shows playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also find a number of different professional development courses from over 20 world-class tattoo artists, all available at that website, www.reinventingthetattoo.com. If this is working for you, once again, please let us know in the comments and in the chats, and please, Tag a friend who loves tattoos. Uh, we always love connecting with other artists, even if they're not tattooers, uh, you know, tell them to join in. We're all about fine art and expanding our horizons and our knowledge base. Tell them to jump in. You never know what kind of knowledge we can all gain. We always encourage people to join in some of our weekly staple shows, starting off on Sundays at 1 p.m. with me, Jason Leeser, um, and the Skill Building Sunday Drawing Group. And that's followed on Mondays with three separate shows starting at 9 a.m. on Mondays. We have Drawing for Tattooers with James Wisdom, where we go through and we discuss some of the basic drawing techniques and strategies that fine artists use. After that, at 5 p.m., we have Let's Talk About Feelings with Robbie Ripple, um, where we go through and we talk about some of those topics that maybe tattooers don't really touch on quite so often. Um, you know, how do things make us feel? It's something that we all deal with. 
Following that at 9 p.m. on Mondays, we have a subscriber exclusive drawing group with Sandy McAndrew. Um, actually, this coming Monday at 9 p.m., we actually have a very special live event. We've got uh, Andre Malcolm joining us. He's going to be doing a seminar on waves and water flow. Uh, so feel free to tune into that. It'll be broadcast live on YouTube. So make sure to check that out uh, tomorrow night, Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Following that on Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m., we've got Tuesday Feels Drawing Group with Ricardo Certivant. Very good friend of mine, incredibly talented artist, and one hell of a tattooer as well. Uh, so feel free to tune into that Tuesday mornings. And Thursdays at 6 p.m., we have the Tattoo Collecting 101 podcast uh, with Fawn Baker and Kyle Bernstein, two absolutely rad people. We'd like to go through and take a second to thank some of our sponsors and some of the people that make this stuff happen. Starting off with WorldTattooEvents.com, the largest, most comprehensive resource for tattoo events worldwide. They're constantly keeping everything up to date. As we know, living in this post-pandemic era, certain tattoo events and uh, conventions are still getting rescheduled like crazy. So for the latest and greatest, most up-to-date convention or event information coming to a town near you, or maybe one you want to travel to, take a look at worldtattooevents.com. Tattoo Now, technology for tattooers, the leading edge in professional development, management, and digital tools for tattooers of all levels. They're constantly keeping everything competitive and upgraded with all of the latest and greatest CRM, mailing list, and scheduling software out there. So if you're looking for a way to really take your tattoo business and your tattoo studio to another level, as far as like getting those clients through the door that you really want to tattoo, that really want to get the stuff that you really want to do, Tattoo Now is the place to go for the tools to make that happen. Of course, this wouldn't be reinventing the tattoo without a very personal, professional, and deeply heartfelt thank you to Guy Aitchison at GuyAitchison.com. He is the founder and inspiration behind Reinventing the Tattoo. Go to GuyAitchison.com where you can pick up a copy of his Biomech Encyclopedia. You can pick up some of his DVDs. Uh, he might still have one or two custom coil machines for sale, as well as a couple of original paintings and countless fine art prints, all available once again at GuyAitchison.com. We would like to also thank two of our affiliates starting off with the apprenticeship diaries for those of you that are out there that might be wondering how to go about getting an apprenticeship or what would be entailed in a tattoo apprenticeship go through and take a look at the apprenticeship diaries with amy nichols where you can find all of the relevant apprenticeship information you could ever imagine um, i recently did an interview with her which ended up being so long we had to chop it up into three parts so go through, there's absolute gold on there, um, will really help you get started down your path to becoming a tattoo artist. As well, if you are already a tattoo artist, take a look at the Fireside Tattoo Network with Jake, Jake Meeks. Um, there is absolute gold on there as well. You can find some of the best interviews with leading tattoo artists worldwide, all available at the Fireside Tattoo Network. 
would also like to go through this week and give a very, very special heartfelt and warm, warm hearted thank you um, to a couple of people that I got to talk to at the Philadelphia Tattoo Convention a couple weeks ago. Um, and they are TATCOM. Special thanks to Aaron Williams, the mad scientist that makes the most incredible tattoo technology tools that you can imagine. You want to talk about really taking your tattoo technique and your tattoo machines to a whole new level? You have got to get TATCOM. Uh, these guys literally take a scientific and engineering approach to everything tattoo related. You want to maintain your consistent lines. You want to maintain consistent uh, shading, solid color saturation, all straight through TATCOM. This power supply literally does it all for you. Um, the science and technology that these guys are putting into the tattoo tools that they're developing are literally on a completely different level than anything you have ever experienced before. These guys are breaking things down to the science behind tattoos and tattooing, and they're giving it to you in one great condensed package. I mean, this thing is absolutely revolutionary. You have got to try it. If you really want to take your tattooing to a whole new level, get a TATCOM power supply. I'm telling you right now, coming from the bottom of my heart, you cannot get a better tool being a tattooer. So thank you very much, TATCOM, and especially Aaron Williams for taking some time to talk to me. I really, really appreciate it. And every time I'm around you, I, my brain starts hurting from how much knowledge you're dropping on me. It's absolutely incredible. Thank you very, very, very much. As always, we ask that if you liked today's episode, please go through and post some positive reviews on the channel and help us get the word out. Uh, we're always looking for, you know, new people to interact with and new people to tune in, uh, new people to comment. If you would like to host a Reinventing the Tattoo event, become a sponsor of our community, or if you're looking for a fine art or a tattoo critique, you can always email management at reinventingthetattoo.com, uh, where we will be happy to get back to you just as soon as we can. So without further ado, we've got a couple of people waiting to uh, join us today on the show. We've got uh, Patrick Boothman already in here. Hey, Patrick. Uh, we've got Amber Morgan, who just joined us, and uh, Medusa, who I believe is currently down in Florida uh, with Bruno. Bruno! What up, buddy? What's up, Bruno? How you, Jason? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, man. Living life to its fullest and uh, enjoying everything going on in it. Glad to hear, as usual. That's oh my awesome. God, Jason! What? What? Bruno loves me. Oh, won't shut up. He's just like, oh my God, amazing, Jason. Oh. I was going to say, Bruno, is Medusa behaving herself? She's in her best behavior, man. Dude, I'm I'm very proud of her. She took a leap of faith. She hit you up. She made it happen. Bravo. Thanks to you, though. You're the one that suggested Bruno. No, I mean, this is badass, man. You've been having a blast. Except for today, well, that's that that's what you should be doing. Yeah, he kidnapped me today. Oh, darn. What a shame. 
Yeah, he was all like, we're going to Starbucks. And I was like, great. And we went to Starbucks. And then all of a sudden, we're in fucking Miami. And I was just like, bro, all my shit that you're house in Fort Lauderdale. I didn't know we were going to Miami. I was like, you didn't need anything. You didn't need any of that. So that's that's what happens. You never know when Bruno's around. You never know what's going to be going on or what kind of adventures you're going to be going on. You really don't. Bruno is one of those characters, man. I let it flow, man. You know, I, between, I just let it flow. Between you and me, he's got, he's got huge palm leaves. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> no, I, like, I'm freaking out here. I'm like, dude, there's palm trees everywhere. And he's like, yeah, that's fucking normal. I'm just like, yeah. God, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, so welcome to the East Coast, Medusa. Welcome to the East Coast. Not that we have palm trees up where I live, but yeah, no, we're not that lucky. Yeah. Hey Amber. Hey Patrick. Hi Amber. Hi Patrick. Hi, I hope you're having a great time. We are. We're actually about to go to uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art. Nice. They were in the parking lot right now. We just wanted to stop and say hi to you guys because you're all so cute and special. <laughs> We fucking oh. love you. We're okay. You're so sweet. I know. I'm the bee's knees. No. <laughs> what are you guys up to? Uh, me, I'm just working on another painting, uh, and I'm getting ready to talk about time management. Ooh, a good one. Fuck. That's, yeah. Distractions are so tricky, man. I am so uh -huh. bad at time management. Like, I've tried a whole bunch of tricks and everything, but I get easily distracted. And then, you know, life. So I think that that comes naturally being a tattoo artist. We do tend to get distracted very, very easily. I know I do at least. So maybe we've got the oh, shiny. Yeah, it's like, oh, sparkles. That's shiny. Oh, chrome. What if I did that in chrome? That would make for a really awesome tattoo, right? Like a chrome hot dog. Yes! Oh, oh my god. But it's shiny and it's chrome, so it's gotta be cool, right? So trust me, I know we all get distracted very easily. Um, I know I myself do on an incredible level. So trust me, I fully understand that. Um you know, but it, time management is one of those things where it takes a lot of self-discipline. And there's a couple of great little hacks that you can do to really make yourself more effective with it. Um, and they are the simplest things to do. The problem is you actually have to remember to do them. And that's where I think things get a little tricky, right? Um, yeah. For example, you know, I always try to stick to a very set and very rigid schedule every week, right? I know that Sunday nights starting at, you know, six o'clock, right? That's laundry time. That's, that's when I do my laundry, right? I know Monday evenings from 4 p.m. until midnight, that's drawing time. That's when I do my drawing drawings for the week. You know, of course I have class at nine. So try to, uh, try to make sure that that's fit in there as well. But, um, you know, it's like there's all of these tiny little things that you can do. And if you just write it out, you know, write it, make a list, grab a 
sticky note or a piece of paper or a paper plate, you know, as some people like to take notes on paper plates. Medusa, I will never let you live that down ever, by the way. You can't Ever. live on a paper plate because yeah. the paper plate is in your bag. You're like, why the fuck do I have a paper plate in your bag? You can fold it, put it away. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. You just got to hope you don't eat off of it. And yeah. it. I mean, it's but it's like, you know, uh, so yeah, man, it, I feel you. I feel like uh, I've kind of run into that conclusion recently that I think that the only way that I'm actually going to help myself from becoming overwhelmed by all the things that I have to do is kind of like setting a schedule for the different things that I want to do, you know? And it's something that Absolutely. I've been kind of keeping myself from doing for, for years because I always felt like being a tattoo artist, you never really know what, what kind of time you're going to need for the different things that you got to do or the projects. And so I thought that it would be best for me to just not have a schedule and just kind of play things by ear. But I think that it just becomes really difficult and, and, uh, and so I started to schedule some of the things that were really important and uh, doing my best to be consistent and it's actually working, you know, like the consistency is starting to happen. And, uh, and so I think that what, what you're saying right now, yeah, like I, I totally agree with that. I think that that's what I'm going to continue to pursue. And that you said, right, just take note of the things that you think are priorities. Little by little start to... Uh, schedule them in your like routine but i have a question for you right like for example it sounds like you have a lot of things scheduled already like a uh, very organized kind of like time management and what do you uh how do you like improvise or problem solve when like something kind of like unexpected comes up and uh you know like how, what kind of adjustments do you make with your routine well that so that's something i was going to touch on a little bit later um, but I mean, we'll, we'll jump right into that if you want to. So what I have a tendency to do is I actually over budget my time for everything. Mm -hmm. Right. So if it takes me, you know, if I were to drive to the studio and say the studio opens at one, um, which means, I mean, most of the artists don't show up until like, you know, five minutes till or whatever. I always over budget the amount of time it takes me to get there. So if it actually takes me 20 minutes to get there, including all of the stops I make along the way, such as, you know, stopping at uh, Wawa or 7-Eleven or something like that to grab lunch, you know, before I head in, uh, fine, whatever. I'm going to give myself an extra bit of time, like an extra 30, 45 minutes to get there even though it might only take me 15 minutes to get there, I'm going to give myself extra time because if say something happens and I get a flat tire, right? Well, there's 30 minutes out of my day right there just to go through and change a tire. But even if that happens and I have to change that tire, I still get to work on time because I over budgeted that time. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I believe in the philosophy of, if you're always early, you're never late. You know, and yeah, it, it sucks because you're usually waiting around a lot because sometimes things that are unexpected don't end up happening. But, but if you over budget your time, you will always have a little bit of extra time 
just in case things do happen. You always have extra time for a safety meeting. Mm -hmm. A safety meeting, maybe to get drawings done. Maybe to go through and do some homework on a hotel you're going to be staying at or an Airbnb or something like that. Because living our lives as tattoo artists, it's literally never ending, right? Mm -hmm. There's always something more we need to do, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. of that, a lot of that stuff that we need to do, we can do on our phones. We can do it on our tablets. We can do it in all number of different places, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can book a hotel, you can book a flight, all that stuff right on your phone. So if you end up with time to kill, on your way to get to be wherever, go through and take care of something else that's on your list that you can do mobile. You know, that way you're not wasting any time. There's always things that we put off that literally only take like three minutes or less too. And that's a really good time to take care of that. Like if I end up going to work, like arriving at work really early got everything ready and i'm just waiting for like my client to arrive. that's a time where i can go through and check the emails respond to a couple of messages things that i've been putting off that only take a few minutes but seem like a chore right. like paying the water bill do that real quick right <laughs> what i call bonus time exactly but you know what you can do that from anywhere now right Mm -hmm. so yeah. if you're if you allocate a little bit of extra time say something does happen okay maybe you don't get to pay your water bill while you're waiting for your client to show up but that's okay because you know say you get a flat tire on your way into work okay well you can't pay your water bill right while you're waiting for your client that's okay you know you can do that a little bit later in between appointments if you need to but it gives you that little bit of extra time just for incidental things. So I always try to factor that in to my schedule all the time. Now, I also try to budget specific amounts of time for certain priority things, right? Like um, Sunday afternoons, that's my painting time. That's when I go through and I get to paint and I get to work on art projects that are not tattoo related, art projects that I want to work on, um, and things that I want to do, right? Um, which is important to have because if we're always just stuck doing the stuff that we have to do, what fun is that? Right. Right, for sure. Yeah, it will catch up to you. And like, so, yeah, it's not really like the ideal lifestyle you want to be living, right? Like, even if you're making money and you're, you know, doing well in a lot of the a lot of your responsibilities, you really like want to make sure that you're making time for those things that, that, that feed your soul, like pain. Exactly. For sure. So you have to budget in time for the things that you want. You I know? think it's important to note that it's, you have to make sacrifices too. Yeah. Like, you can't do it's really hard to 
going on that everybody wants to do. So learning how to prioritize what you need to get done and what can afford being skipped this week um, is also really important. Prioritizing is a big part of time management. It's really hard because I prioritize fun all the time. And then when it comes time to get to work, it's like, I didn't want to do that. So I didn't do that all weekend. Now I got it. Right? Yeah, prioritization is a big thing, right? What What's priority one? Priority one, in my opinion, is always income, right? Maximize your income, right? So I'm going to go through and take care of all of the stuff that I have to get done before I ever start doing the stuff that I want to do. But I also have that time budgeted, right? I have time budgeted for my drawings for the week to go through and figure out finance, to go through and say, okay, I need to contact my tax guy and I can meet up with him on this day at this time. Um, you know, I can go through, we're getting a lot of background noise. Seth, I think that's coming from you, man. We had uh, Seth Mashrush join us. Seth, you're my hero. You know that. Um, you know, but it's like, prioritizing, right? What comes first? What absolutely has to be done on a deadline, right? Then you can get to the stuff that you really want to do once the stuff that you have to do is done. You know, it seems like a very simple, simple concept, but it's not always the most simple to put into practice. I so think it's also... I, but a lot of that comes down to uh, analyzing, you know, what do you have to get done week to week, day to day? And how is that going to impact everything else? I think with sacrifice, because when you prioritize things, you also have to sacrifice things. Um, and I think it's really important to find a really good balance as well between work and like what makes you happy? Because we can prioritize income and paying the bills and working and hustling, but if we're not prioritizing the other things that bring us joy in our day-to-day -day lives, we're gonna start being miserable. And you can love your job so much, but if that becomes your entire life, like this is for anybody, you know, like even like, you know, people that aren't tattooists and everything. Um, it's going to wear you out. So prioritizing the things that make you happy as well, that bring you joy, that bring you stability, that bring you um, healthy mentality, you know, um, your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health. Um, those should be prioritized just as much as any like uh, business endeavor, I think, because your quality of life is going to go down if you aren't constantly making sure that you do live a quality life. Well, I, the way I look at it is like this, and I agree with you on that. I do. But I look at it more along the lines of what are some of the major stressors that most people have in life, right? And one of the most common stressors that just about anyone I've ever met can say is, okay, well, making sure my bills are paid, making sure that that's ready, making sure that, you know, I've got enough money for supplies so that even if I order a thousand dollars worth of supplies and it doesn't come in for a week, 
that's okay because I have a little bit of extra money and I can go and I can buy this and that'll hold me over until that comes in, right? And not having to worry about, okay, do I spend that money on rent or do I spend that on supplies? So making sure that you get yourself to that kind of a comfortable level where you can turn around and not have to worry about that. Once you get to that point, I think that's when you really start to turn a corner and you don't have to worry about that so much, right? But until you get to that point, it's like, you need to pay your bills. That has to be done. That's a requirement. You need to pay down credit card debt. That is a requirement that has to be done. Um, you know, I'm not saying you have to do that all at once, but those are definitely things that can add stress to your life that's undue stress. So I always try to focus on that first and foremost and make sure that, oh, okay, you know what? Just submitted my credit card payment for the month. Cool. I don't have to worry about that again. Now I can go and paint a little bit. I use painting and drawing for myself as a little bit of a reward system so that I can go through and say, okay, I took care of this priority. Great. I can give myself a little bit of a, little bit of a reward and I can spend, I don't know, a half hour working on this oil painting or 30 minutes working on this watercolor or whatever. Uh, maybe I'll work digital for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, just because that for me is my reward for taking care of what needs to be done. So I, I do agree though, that you can't spend your whole life, you know, chasing the dollar. Uh, you will end up miserable. And I know I did that. Absolutely. I did that for a number of years. I did that for about 10 years. I was working 80 hours a week between a full-time job and tattooing. And I had the money, but I was absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it was not you. good. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, when something is exciting, you know, you usually have like extra energy, like to make money and everything. But then if you're not like, you know, if it's unbalanced and it's all like, you know, all business, uh, then it kind of catches up to you, right? Like, um, like I've experienced um, it's important to kind of, you know, make sure that among, within the time that you have, right, that you make some time for the things that, that make you happy, you know, like give you a, a quality life type thing. Make sure you rest, make sure you food, make sure you drink water, make sure you meditate mm -hmm. and everything else will fall into place. Then you can like, you'll have a much better time focusing on everything else. Mm -hmm. Try staying awake for 48 hours and then trying to do your budget, your balance and bills and all that. You're absolutely right. Listen yeah. to yeah. your body. Take time for snacks. Always have snack. <laughs> snack time and nap time are my two favorite times of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Like, your life will be so much better. You think you're like really tired? Maybe you can sacrifice 15, 20 minutes of uh, drawing for a 20 minute nap and then get back to drawing after that. You're going to feel so rejuvenated. Everything's going to be really nice. Right. Real nice. And like she said, like making time to like eat well and maybe like squeeze in a little bit of like uh, some kind of a exercise routine, like it really makes a difference. Um, lately, you know, I've been kind of feeling a little bit tired, or not lately, but like uh, 
not too long ago, I was feeling like really, really tired and I knew I had to make some adjustments and, and I made the effort to make time, you know, like to actually buy some healthy groceries and maybe like cook a little bit and uh, make sure that, you know, I'm like eating well and uh, I'm not just kind of trying to eat quick so I could just right, get right back into the, the things that are fun or to the responsibilities. And then I also made a little time for exercising and it made like a huge difference. Like I had no idea, you know, how, how important, you know, it really is to take care of your body because it's not like separate from your mind. You know, like if your body's not like, you know, doing well and strong and wet, well fed and like, you know, potentially, you know, doing some kind of exercise, then your mind at some point is not, is going to stop working as well. You know? and, and so with that deep understanding, you know, it's kind of inspired me to understand that I really need to make time. If I really want to continue growing and getting better and doing what I got to do, I got to make time for those things. And it's really Bruno, Bruno, you're not allowed to get any better, dude. You need to wait until the rest of us catch up to you, please. I don't think this guy's gonna fucking because you're like on a whole nother fucking level, dude. Uh, Bruno, Bruno, why he's like waiting for it to get ready in the morning? He fucking does push up. He combines his time management, so like he's getting ready in the morning and getting exercise in. Just five minutes. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, you're waiting for your coffee to get ready. Fucking do some jumping jacks. It's good for your physical health, your cardio. You're you're not doing anything else while you're waiting for your coffee to get ready. Fuck it. Double cat. Get two birds with one stone. I manage it, bitch. <laughs> you know, I think another great little time management hack that um, I've picked up on recently, and I've really started to put into more practice. Believe it or not, put your phone down. Yeah. Put your phone down. You, if you're working on something else, I don't. So say I, you know, I do these these broadcasts as often as I can. Um, and a lot of times, what I end up doing is I'll end up putting it on uh, completely silent mode. I will not get a single notification. I won't get a single phone call. I won't get a single text. Um, and I won't see anything until after the broadcast because this is my time for this. I'm going to stay focused on this, which means I'm not going to do that. You know, because when you have your phone easily accessible, when you're getting notifications all the time, it's going to be a major distraction. And then you end up spending so much time on that because you're like, oh, so-and-so just sent me a DM. Let me get back to them real quick. Um, you know, it's only going to take a minute. And next thing you know, you're, you end up in a conversation with them, talking about size and price and when can they come in. Now you're going to stop and you're going to check your calendar to see what the next time you can get them in. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe I can't get them in on this date, but how long is this one going to take? Okay, maybe I can squeeze that in after. But now you've just wasted that time. Right. right? No, that message will flow, be there you know? when you get back to your phone. Okay, right. but, mm -hmm. but but my dog server is texting me pictures of my dog, and that is my priority. <laughs> <laughs> well, Medusa, knowing you the way that we all do, we know that that's your priority. <laughs> yeah. We know that there is nothing bigger in this world than your dog. Dude, it's true love. 
this guy has had to deal with it's me being like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like he has like a new boyfriend. Like he's so excited <laughs> to get attached to a picture of the doggy. He is cute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, Kyle Olson in the YouTube comments. Hey, hey guys, up, hope everyone is doing well. Uh, okay, how's it going, Kyle? Kyle? Kyle B. Hey, Kyle. B. What's up? Hey, Kyle B's with us. How you guys doing? Stop, man. January, I think you posted it every day, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, kept up on that strategy email challenge. That was rough, but I made it through. Dude. Dude, you're a badass motherfucker. Yeah, I, I, Seriously. I've never even made it past, like, two days of Inktober. The uh, well, first like, I got before it was, like, 12 days. And I was ready to quit by 15, but at that point, it's, like, you're already halfway there. You might as well commit, you know? Yeah, that is like serious dedication. You're impressive, yeah, my dude. Uh, it's going to pay off big, though. Right? Yeah, no, I already saw it pay off in like just 30 days alone. I did a dragon <laughs> school on the first and last day, and it was like, whoa. God, Massive dude, difference. You're killing it. You're giving us the good example, buddy. We gotta head out. We're gonna go to Mocha and look at some fine art and maybe not so fine art that's being sold for way too much money. That's gonna make me fucking angry and then I'm gonna be really angry. And all we have is gonna leave a contemporary, the abstract part of the contemporary art. See if, uh, see if Cy Twombly's got an exhibit there. I was about to say. Is that the guy that just does like one blotch of paint and he's like, it's worth five million dollars? No, no, that's crayon on canvas. Crayon. Yeah, crayon scribbles on canvas. Oh, um, I remember that guy. So mad. Outside of uh, outside of any work on art, it's Do we work. We work with somebody else's uh, we only went to we went to some art galleries last night and we started getting really pissed. So I was like, I can do this. This is really easy to make. Like, and, like touching things. I'm like, that's fucking plastic. <laughs> it's it's not yeah, but I touch everything. <laughs> Why there's a difference between art and fine art? Yeah, they were supposed to be fine art. Yeah. Well, yeah, anything can, can be fine. Not everything can be fine on. Yeah, well, we'll a very good distinction. All kinds of different people like different kinds of art, surrounded by different types of art pieces. Okay. So I'm just, you know, that's be... fine and all, but everybody who doesn't like what I like. <laughs> Like, your opinion's not mine. They're all wrong. <laughs> well, guys, I hope you, uh, I hope you two get to see some awesome stuff today. Take care and uh, go enjoy. It was nice to see you guys. Well, nice to see you again. Nice to see you, bro. Happy Sunday, bro. Have fun managing your time. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Yeah, Patrick, what are you working on, man? That looks pretty cool. Yes, it does. So let me just... Uh... Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Yep. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, let's see. 
Right. So we've got, if I zoom out, where are we? But I'm not sure. Don't know. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Aww. Yeah. So we got, uh, it's going on a, a shoulder. Okay. So the spine, the spine's coming down here. And then he's got some, he's got a tattoo that already exists here that's like got um, like dragon and like smoke coming up here. Okay. And then, so like a sort of Celtic border. Uh, battlefield in the background, two crows or ravens, and then uh, I think she's supposed to be I don't know, is it Morrigan or some sort of Celtic, um, Celtic goddess? Of the one with the ravens is Morgan. There you go, Morgan. Yeah, so it's supposed to be her. Um, yeah, and we tried it on. Um, we put a stencil on his shoulder uh, the other day and we've had to make a few adjustments but the, we're at the stage now where I'm just sort of tidying up the line work for a, to, for a, a decent stencil um, and then I'm going to have to do a tonal sort of study just to make sure that all my, uh, my values are okay no black on black um, but yeah, so that's where that's where I am now. Um, my my, I've got a question for anyone that's listening. Um, so ordinarily, uh, when I do uh, stencils, I just do the stencil in like one line thickness, and then I sort of go to um, my my preferred like needle groupings on the day and you know sort of work from say 11 9 7 5 sort of down uh, and that's normally when it's on a palm sized tattoo but because this is a bit bigger and because there's that many more layers my um it's probably worth me figuring out line widths beforehand um now obviously i could just do that with different thicknesses of uh, pen on, uh, what's it called, on Procreate. But I was wondering whether anyone had any experiences of the, oh gosh, what's it called? The needle, uh, the um, Tattoo Smart. Yeah, the needle groups. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you use that? I have. Is Um, it accurate? I love it. It's accurate as long as you set up your canvas correctly. Um, I believe it has to be at 300 DPI. Right. But as long as that's set up correctly, it is pretty true to size. Okay. Um, I was very skeptical at first. I was like, there's no way this is a three line. There's no way this is going to be like, you know, a true 11 round liner line. It is. It's pretty darn accurate. Um, Obviously, depending on the brand of needles that you're using, some lines might be a little smaller. They might be a little bigger, you know, yeah, just yeah. depending on the spread of the needles. Um, yeah. But for the most part, yeah, they're pretty true. They're pretty accurate. Okay. So, right. And then would you use that? Uh, so say, for instance, this is my, um, right, the purple. 
layer is going to be like my stencil yeah mm -hmm. do you use different line thicknesses on your stencil i mean i don't ordinarily but because oh, it's I, a bigger i i'm one of those people i'm probably the wrong person to ask because every single stencil that i do has varied line weight and right. it is i cram as much information into that stencil as possible right um, in fact i could probably pull up you know what let me uh get my iPad together and I'll give you an example of the way that I usually do some of my stencils. That would be um, really cool. Yeah. I, um, let me see if I can find my adapter and then oh, I need a, a HDMI cable too. Uh, give me one second to grab another cable. Um, and I'll show you exactly how I do mine. Um, I think you'll like it. I, maybe it'll be helpful, but I try to cram as much. I I'll even do cross hatching for certain yeah. areas of solid black. Um, I'll go through and I'll do dotted lines for area for like little highlighted areas. Um, mm -hmm. I'll do tiny little accent lines for my three lines. I'll do built up sculpted lines for my big bold lines. Uh, even if they're not perfectly accurate to size, it still gives me an idea that, oh, okay, this is my biggest line. This is my middle weight. This is my tiny lines, my little accent detail lines. This is everything else that I have going on. Um, and it, to me, it's always really, really helpful to have that information in front of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let me grab a cable real quick and, um, I'll get some stuff pulled up and I'll show you actually the way that I do my stencils. Cool. Amber, I notice, I notice your, your surname is, uh, Morgan. 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 Yeah. Morgan, Morgan so what, happens is... to be my paint drink goddess. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so was she um, uh, goddess of the, the battlefield or something like that? Or um, She's actually a three-faced goddess. She's oh, got okay. the maiden, mother, and crone energy. So there's three different versions of her. Okay. So that's a, the triple goddess. Yes, exactly. All oh, right. Okay. Oh, cool. So, uh, so where's your, is that, you have, Irish heritage, is it, in your family? Very Irish. Oh, uh, okay. What what part of Ireland? Um, they're, well, can, depending on which side of my family it's from, they're both from all over. Oh, uh, okay. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm in um, uh, West Wales, so we're just over the water from uh, um, Ireland. We're probably about... Uh, I don't know, four, four or five hours by, uh, by ship um, across the Irish Sea. Uh, and so- I'd love to take a trip there. It's cool, it's, it really is. Um, but it is pretty cold at this moment in time. Mind you, it's cold, you get pr pretty unpleasant conditions um, uh, in the US, don't you? Where, whereabouts are you, Amber? Um, I'm in New Jersey in the States. Uh, okay. So, so what, what, mid to upper east coast. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's um uh, it's cold up there. What sort of temperatures oh, are you? Oh, today it's 25. Okay. What's that? I, Fahrenheit. I, I, oh, that's in Fahrenheit. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I could Google it, couldn't I? It's very cold in Fahrenheit. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, I was I was just uh, up in Massachusetts this past weekend. I'm on my way back down to Philly. 
and uh, Saturday it was minus with wind chill. It felt like it was minus 31. Oof. We had minus four. I thought that was bad. Minus 31 is inhuman. Uh, we got to do that uh, that thing with the warm water in the cup where you throw it up into the air and it turns to snow. Mm. It's pretty wild. I've never seen that before. That's... I just don't really care to see it again. Yeah, that temperature is just rude. Okay, so I've got uh, something pulled up. Let me make sure it's landscape mode so it shows up right. Jason, that so this is awesome. a this is a full sleeve that I was working on um, uh, not too long ago. We haven't finished it just yet, but it's uh, a tiger and a samurai with like some background. We got a little pagoda, tiny little hiker guy in the background. Uh, okay. Um, but you'll see, I, I do, you know, I'll mark out my very, very big lines, usually loose 11 or maybe uh, loose 14, depending on the size. Um, and let me spotlight this for myself. There we go. Um, so I'll mark out, you know, my bigger lines. I'll do some midweight lines for where the tiger stripes are going to be. Uh, some other midweight lines for where the maple leaves are going to be falling. Uh, I'll do some smaller thin lines for where I just have tiny little subtle accents. Usually those go to represent either detail, like tiny little detail lines or harder edges, um, especially up in places like the mask. I'll do a little thin line just to denote, okay, this is where this dark shadow area is. This is where these tiny little round circles are. This is where a jagged little pattern in the armor is. Um, you know, these are some of the shadowed areas that you can see. Uh, you know, so I'll go through and I'll do that. And then sometimes I'll whip out my dotted line brush and I'll mm. just do some subtle shadows just to give myself areas of contour, certain shadowy areas that I want to make sure stay shadowy areas and don't get hard lined, uh, especially things like the background. I always like to do with a very, very thin line as opposed to anything even remotely bigger just so that it reminds me, oh yeah, this is just a hard edge. Right. Um, so I try to cram as much information as I can into every stencil. And this is my appointments folder. You'll see, you know, here's another good example. Bold lines, thin lines, dotted lines, all to denote different things, areas of shadow and subtleties, areas that I really want to come forward and areas I really want to push backwards. Um, you know, things like a moon, perfect example. I'll do a hard line around the edge of it uh, because I know I'm going to be filling solid black in behind it. So that's going to disappear. But I know that I'm not going to want to put anything close to a hard line on the interior because that's all just very subtle tones. So I'll go through and I'll use a dotted line brush just to mark out some of those areas so that I can go through and say, oh, okay, this is where this shape is. This is where this shape is. So I use the whole gambit across the board. Right. You know, something that I do also with, uh, with the black and gray stuff in particular is uh, I'll add, like Jason mentioned, crosshatch lines. Uh, I won't necessarily always say crosshatch, but I may put like some light lines in 
for the, the contour, the shape, and the direction that the shading needs to go. So if I know the surface is lifting up towards me, you know, I'll, I'll put some curved lines, kind of view shape, like they're coming up, you know. Yeah, it helps you just determine the, the flow of that shape and curve. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, just breaking them down to the shapes can be, you know, one, one triangle shape looks like another one, but those surfaces may be different directions. Okay. But yeah, exactly. The other side of his arm. Yes. Yeah. So who hasn't done this statue of Atlas, right? Um, it's cool. Looks great. But if you do, if I turn the opacity down on my, my line drawing layer, you can actually see what I do and where, where I have bigger bold lines, where I leave a slight little skin gap, um, you know, what's going to have a smaller hard line, where those tiny little cross hatches and scribbles are going to denote areas of really dark shadow. And it translates into a stencil very, very well. Um, you might get a little bit of blurring if the lines are a little too close together, but it, it's all there. All of the relevant information that I need is there and it's all incorporated, especially if I'm doing something that's black and gray, like Seth was mentioning. It's always helpful to have a little bit of cross hatching or hatching in there just to help you denote flow, curvature, um, shadow areas over highlight areas, over mid-tone areas. Yeah, I and that. I mean, you can strip that down. Uh, I actually think I've got, no, nope, got rid of it. But I actually had all of these scribbled layers done as um, dotted lines at first. But I was like, why would I go through and do that when it's easier just to go through and mark that out with a simple scribble or cross hatch real quick? Mm. So it just makes following that whole, the whole pattern of light and dark shapes a lot easier. So do you have do you have your uh, iPad right, with you whilst you're tattooing as well? I do. Yes. Right. So, but so all of that information, you you don't even have to move off the like the client. You don't have to like look over your shoulder, or you know you don't. You, you can just sort of it. You can see it on the skin. Yeah. Exactly. If I right, if right. I need to, and sometimes I will do this, I'll actually print out three different versions of the image. I'll yeah, do yeah. one without the line drawing, right? I'll just have the pure value of the image. Then I'll have one with the line drawing overlaid on top so I can see, okay, here's this shape and this value. Here's my stencil with that kind of overlaid. And then I'll do one that I use just for the pure stencil. And I'll run this stencil, but then I'll look right off of this image for most you know, and I always have this guy set up just so that I know, okay, here's this shadow, here's this tone, here's this highlight. But sometimes I'll print off multiple pictures and I'll just have those taped either right next to it, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's taped to the person's arm, whether it's taped to the armrest, whether it's taped to their shirt. I'll find a way to tape it so that I'm not constantly whipping my head back and forth because that just creates neck strain it creates back strain and it's time that you're taking away from looking at the actual stencil on the, the person's body. Yeah. yeah. I try to it, condense the environment. That, very that, much the same thing. They, uh, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just going to say they uh, sometimes 
when you print out a piece with a, a line work over it, Jason, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but um, sometimes I'll, I'll print it out if it's a black and gray piece rather than have the black line work over it. I'll change the value or the color, maybe make it red lines or green lines so that I can read, you know, some of those areas like under underneath Atlas's arm, right? Like if, if that disappears when you have the line work over top of the image, right? Change the line work page to like, you know, a, a green or a red works for your own eyesight and that way you can still see the image over it but what you said about printing out the image on paper is really important you know um, because the skin's not illuminated when you look at an image it's on an ipad it's, it's back right so you're going to get a different read on some of those values some may seem lighter some may not when you're looking at it on paper i feel like it's it's a little more um, a little more of like a, a real life read on what the value would be how it sit so the only issue i have when i do stuff like that is that some printers will actually change values some will print yeah. out darker than what the image might be yeah. so sometimes you it's not always truly accurate so right. i always kind of have to remind myself of that sure uh, that's why i always like to have my ipad there as a secondary reference just in case yeah, absolutely. It's nice to be able to zoom in on things too. Like if you're trying to figure out a little area, you can't really see it on the paper. So blow it up and make it larger on the iPad. Yeah, cheers. Thanks so much. That, you know, you sort of, you make your life so much easier by having um, like that decent stencil in the first place, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, for sure. But, you know, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so the other, th sorry. Um, the other thing is, like, uh, this is going to be on a shoulder blade. Uh, and in the past, I've just had, uh, when I've done uh, shoulder blades, I've had the client sort of sat upright um, just because, you know, the skin stretched, you've got gravity on your side and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> And that seems to have worked all right. No, com uh, you know, no complaints on my part. Um, but what do you guys prefer? Like, if you're doing the shoulder, do you prefer your clients like lying down or sat upright? Or if it doesn't go over the top of the arm, like sometimes I've had issues where you lay them down, the image will come up towards you know the top part of the shoulder, and that's yeah, really yeah. difficult. You know, so you may have to you know have them sit up for one thing and then lay back down. Um, right. it's nice to have, like you said, gravity on your side with all of the ink flowing directly down. Your wrist isn't in a compromised position for, you know what I mean? For a long period of time, it's more like drawing on a flat mm -hmm. surface, right? Right down in front of you. Um, but there are advantages also to having them sitting up and, and leaning forward, say wrapping their arm around a chair where you're getting a little bit of that extra stretch on their uh, skin. Okay. You know, yeah. and it, it makes it a little bit easier, but it, it just depends on how long, you know, how large the piece. Um, my clients are usually let them know ahead of time, hey, I'm going to have you in a couple different positions while we're doing this. And they don't really seem to mind. You know, it, it doesn't take too long for them to you know, go from a prone position to sitting upright or leaning one side or another. Um, yeah, but, yeah. you know, as long as first and foremost, the thing that you're, you're saying, and I'm sure you've all dealt with this, the clients telling us, hey, man, whatever you need me to do. And it's like, well, no, I mean, I need you to be comfortable because you're going to be sitting there for hours. You know, I'll do what I do. I'll make do with what I need to. But you have to be comfortable. It's already going to be uncomfortable getting tattooed. 
You know, so I don't want you thinking about, oh, this position is also on Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always conscious with uh, shoulders. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you can sort of get a client in a position and, you know, sort of keep them in that position. Uh, but uh, in the past, I, I've sort of sat in a position with my shoulder, you know, my arm all the way over the back of my head and just sort of thought nothing of it for like two or three hours. Well, maybe not three hours, but <laughs> maybe an hour and a half. And then afterwards, like the next day, my shoulder has just been so like tight and uh, sore that it's taken, you know, like a good week or so to get back to normal. And, sure. uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is, like, you know, sort of say farewell to your client and then they've got to spend, like, you know, a bit of money getting a massage or acupuncture or whatever it is to, uh, you know, sort of get everything loosened up again afterwards. If you're doing something on somebody's, uh, on, on their arm, say like on their bicep or their forearm, it kind of scans yeah. the whole area. Um, I've had people, you know, I'm working on somebody's forearm and he has his arm extended. Sometimes that, that you know, for you, it's straight and, and you're comfortable working on them. But then I forget that uh, their, their elbow is overextended and has been for an hour, yeah. two hours, whatever. And then they go to bend their arm back up and it's just like the impossible task. And just like you said, it ends up hurting them for you know more than a couple of days. So yeah. it's just you know the, the ergonomics of making your client comfortable, you know, throughout the yeah. process, just being conscientious of that of how they're laying or what position. Yeah, and I think like sometimes actually getting them to move, like you say, you know, it's no hassle for them. It's actually quite good for them to you know sort of avoid being in that you know sort of position for a prolonged period of time you know if yeah. anything it you know sort of gives a bit of variety to what can be a long yeah. tedious day yeah you're not staring at the same spot on the wall the whole time i will say that if if you know i found that especially when doing a back piece um you know helpful to have them lay down when you're working on one side or the other but i found it to be a little more difficult working across the center of the back when they're laying down yeah. i find that yeah, yeah. sitting them up and leaning them forward because it's just killer on my low back you know and, and and i get a better stretch on them across that spine area you know between the shoulder blades the low back um you know when they're when they're laying flat and working across the middle of their back so much effort's before has to be put into stretching the skin yeah whereas yeah. if they sit forward it almost just kind of does it for you, you know? mm -hmm. i like those little uh those like massage chairs are great you know they, like where it's got the face cradle and they sit forward and kind of on their knees the ones with the, the ones that have got the uh like the um they got like the padding at the front so they're, they're like sat backwards is that what yeah, you mean exactly yeah because yeah, you can also use it for a chest or you know if somebody leans back against them that works works both ways but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of the, the furniture that they have for that stuff would be helpful. Mm -hmm. I just got one of them off of Facebook Marketplace for five bucks. I love Facebook Marketplace. And it's purple. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I was like, it's purple and it's five bucks? Oh, that's mine. <laughs> Absolutely mine. So something that Jason uh, touched on, which having, you know, not having any neck strain, you know, when you're looking for 
damage damage. Um, when I'm doing an oil painting, it's something I learned in most of the seminars that I've taken. All of the instructors have said the same thing. Um, having whatever image it is in the same position as the artwork that you do so because you're if you're looking at something from an angle, you might read it differently if you're, if you're drawing on it straight in front of you. But when you look over, it's like kind of taped to something or it's laying down or you know, you're looking at it at two different angles. You try to have everything parallel. If your artwork is laying flat, you know, use an armrest or a tray, like Jason said, tape it to the client part of the table and have it flat also. If they're sitting upright in a chair, have it next to them. You know, to, I, I like using the armrest and raising it up and taking it to that and having it parallel to the, the image that I'm actually working on. So that way, I'm, I'm visually I see the same. And, and like he said, you know, your eyes shouldn't have to travel too far to see that difference. I can look just to the left in there, and it's right back. Yeah. Cheers, Seth. Thanks. Thanks very much. I've just had a look at your um, uh, Instagram page, and uh, yeah, it looks uh, absolutely awesome. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's, uh, you, I, yeah. You said you're in, uh, in in South Wales. Yeah, um, Southwest Wales. So, um, like, yeah, like next stop Ireland. Uh, so, like past Cardiff. Um, do you, I don't know. Do you do you know Wales at all, or? Uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm I'm a little ignorant to the uh, the geography and the layout over there. I, I actually have family in England. Um, been meaning to get out that way, and Jason and I have talked about you know, traveling to different spots in Scotland or Ireland. Um, uh, I, okay. I unfortunately a little unfamiliar with, uh, with that area. So, um, I should probably uh, accustom myself. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm uh, pretty ignorant about the uh, the 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 geography of the U.S. So um, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't so are a lot of Americans don't feel yeah. that. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, how long? Uh, what's your name? I'm sorry. Uh, Patrick. Patrick. Awesome. Yes. How long have you been tattooing? Uh, five years. Excellent. So, yeah, still, you know, sort of still early days, um, you know, uh, and I guess, you know, you sort of always, you know, you're sort of constantly learning, aren't you? Um, and I uh, recently did the uh, tattoo business mastery thing with uh, what's he called Hip and uh, Matt Clemmer and all that, and that was uh, one of the best things I've done uh, you know, since since starting tattooing. You know that and uh, reinventing have been uh, yeah really really beneficial. Yeah, I got the uh, reinventing the tattoo when it first came out. It's in the, uh, I think I still have it. The uh, it's in a binder. Um, and that, at that point, I was probably about five years in attachment, like yourself, and uh, it, right. it instantly changed you know, the entire trajectory for me, so that was really nice. Um, but uh, I think it's important, like you said, you know, no matter when you're 25 years in attachment, you can still treat it like you've been attached for five years. You don't have the confidence and know-how of 25 years of experience behind you, but keep that mental state of like, um, you know, still so much more to learn. 
So, how long how long have you been tattooing, Seth? Uh, Twenty three years. Wow! Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I learned in the in the late nineties. Didn't start doing it professionally until uh, two thousand. These conversations that Jason puts on are fantastic because you get so many different you know, levels of experience and different perspectives on things. And we talked about this in the past where, you know, somebody like myself is talking to somebody who's maybe just an apprentice and they say something I've never heard. I'm like, oh, shit, I never thought about it like that. You know, and it, there's always something to be learned from, from every corner of this business. And that's something that's exciting yeah and i think it's that sort of uh having that open mind is uh what's so important isn't it rather than sort of thinking oh i know it all and you know what i mean no one no one could possibly know it all could they and i think if you no. you know sort of if you turn your mind off to the possibilities then uh you sort of lose out on so much well, I'll tell you, that's a fantastic drawing you got going so far. And the fact that you're laying out all of that Celtic, not work, free, like just by hand, it's, it's really impressive. Oh, thank you very much. I've, I've got used to it. It's, um, uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward um, uh, stuff. Uh, yeah. So all you do... Are you familiar with how to draw Celtic knotwork? Uh, not very well at all. <laughs> so okay. I'm, watching what, I'm watching what you're doing right now. So you got that, yeah? And then it's just like yeah. a repeat of that. Um, let's say... Uh, what? Brush, airbrush. And then it's just, uh, oops, bigger than that. Oops. So, uh, yeah, just repeat, which is it? Uh, I'll try, we'll try again. So, yeah, it's, um, Way back in the day, I used to have a computer program that would help you make Celtic not. Yeah. I have, uh, yeah. I, I am not too proud to, you know, know that I need at certain points. Like, well, somebody drew this type of knot work way better than I'm going to draw it. So I'm going to take this and combine mm. other knot work that I saw combine that with other stuff eventually make it my own but just to, to freehand just lay that stuff out without making it look like you know, 
a mess of shoelaces. Yeah, Very no, different. I can't. It's like just like with Yeah. Yeah, the untattooed skin is so like the negative space is so much more not more important, but just as important as the area yeah. that you are tattooed or that, that spatial relationship. You know, you see some stuff it looks like it's drawn really well, but then all of a sudden it just looks like a knot of pasta somewhere and your eyes just can't move away from that. I like the stuff that tends to be a little balanced. Yes. The balanced stuff looks the best, but it's the hardest to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's got to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, it's like, okay, well, where does this strand go? Oh, that doesn't go anywhere. Okay, then why is this part here? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I like the way that skull pops out of the top of that liquid in there, man. That's really nice. Uh, dude, just you just wait, man. Um, I actually got to color this in and start coloring it in the other day. And because uh, it is actually a tattoo on one of my coworkers. And um, cool. it, it turned out really, really well. Um, I'm just praying that they take care of it and, you know, do it justice. But, um, you know, it's like I, I have a digital like color rendering of it, but to me, I always like to try to do it by hand as well, because I'm a huge advocate of the fact that if you can't do it by hand, you shouldn't be doing it digitally. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I agree. Kind of doing, stuff doing is like uh, gives people a false sense of uh, security things, and then they have to approach, the, approach it realistically or in real life, and uh, just have difficulty pulling it off. Yeah, that's really nice, man. Hey, uh, Jason, those prints that you uh, gave me at the convention, are you printed those out yourself? Yes. Yeah, they, they, they're fantastic. And color saturation, vapor is amazing. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of why I started getting into printmaking. Um, yeah. You know, I, so I you found a couple of tricks and a couple of like techniques that really just make those colors really, really jump out at you. Sure. Um, and it's and like, is that okay, during the printing process or during the, uh, while you're creating the art? Uh, it's more so the printing process because, okay. and I've used this example with different people in different places. Um, you can take the same image and you can use different color profiles on different types of paper and get completely different results. Now, most commercial printing places, maybe they don't, not saying they don't care about the outcome, but they're relying a lot more on the person that submitted the artwork to do all the color correction, to do this, to you know make sure that everything is exactly the way that they want it to be because they've got you know so many different jobs that they have to do so it's like, okay, maybe they're not really super concerned with the outcome. Um, and that's kind of where I separate myself out from a lot of other places that do prints is yeah. I take the time and I'll do, sometimes it'll take days on end, but I'll go through and I will do test prints until the colors are perfectly accurate to the image that I was provided. You know, if it's uh, digital to start, that's fine. 
I try to make sure that those colors are as accurate to what's on the screen as human. Yeah. Um, if it's an original painting, I tell people, hey, send me a picture of it in like natural daylight so that I can tell what colors are where. Right. Now, do you scan it, that stuff yourself or are you taking a JPEG like a, a photo? Um, a lot. So a lot of times with some of my clients, I'm completely and totally reliant upon the image that they send me. I've got uh, one client out in California that I do prints for. So for them to mail me an actual painting, too risky. I, I don't want to take that kind of a liability. So I'll actually have them go to somewhere like Staples, Kinko's, uh, anywhere like that where they can get something scanned in. And I'll give them exact parameters of how it needs to be scanned. And from there, I'll work with that image um, because most scanners are pretty accurate. Sometimes there's a little bit of color correction that needs to be done, but most of them are pretty accurate. Okay. So for me, it's like it, I don't need, you know, an $8,000 flatbed overhead scanner for like, you know, stuff like that. To me, that's just kind of pointless um, and can kind of, you know, just take away from everything. If, sure. if people send me an actual JPEG, it's like, cool, fine. I mean, I prefer a TIFF or, um, you know, yeah, anything like that to preserve sure. the clarity of the image. But sure. I mean, JPEGs I can work with. Uh, yeah. So sometimes I'm just working strictly off of a straight JPEG from a scanned image. Yeah, and I, I think I meant more like, and I was using the wrong terminology, more like, not necessarily just the JPEG, but like you said, a TIFF or something like, it's basically like where they scan images or where they photographs of the, the artwork. Right, it's going to preserve more detail, it's going to preserve more information in the actual image during the scanning process, yeah. and that's what I prefer to go with. Um, so yeah, if that's what's provided to me, I'll work with it. JPEGs tend to compress a little bit more, okay. uh, but I can work with those as well. But right. a lot of it comes down to the proofing process. You know, how many color proofs are you doing? How, how often are you checking for color accuracy? Uh, what color profiles are you using during the printing process? What kind of paper are you printing on? Because that can have a huge effect on the way that those colors come out. Um, and that's why I'm very picky about paper that I print on for my own prints. I've done the homework. Yeah, I know which ones are the brightest. I know which ones uh, stand out the most. I know which ones are going to have the most longevity uh, as far as like ink on paper and then what kind of absorption rate is there? What kind of longevity does the paper have? Uh, and what's going to be the brightest for me to print on, especially if I'm printing something with color? That has got to be super, super vibrant. And yeah. a lot of places out there do not offer printing on the paper that I print on. So it's like, okay, well. That was the I first thing I noticed when you gave me those prints. I, I, I opened them up. That, that paper, which is outstanding, the colors on it, beyond that. It's insane. A lot of it comes down to the texture, too. I like very textured paper to print on. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, some people don't, and that's cool. That's fine. Uh, some people prefer more of a smooth paper. 
but I like mine to be as close to like an actual arches watercolor paper as possible. Sometimes even more so because I want it to have almost an exaggerated texture. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what I like to print on. I don't, I, I don't skimp on uh, cost when it comes to paper because that can make or break an image. I definitely want to get some prints sent in there. I made on my old top. Well, yeah, let me know. Hit me up. You've got my number. Just send me a text. But yeah, prints are prints to me are a very big part of being an artist and being able to provide artwork to the public in general. You know, maybe someone doesn't have $2,000 to drop on a tattoo, but maybe they've got 80 bucks to drop on a print. You know, so yeah. why, why not? I hate to interrupt guys, but I got to bow out for the day. You guys have a great day. You do the you same. You take care. Enjoy. You. Bye. you too. Bye. Yeah, I've um, I've kind of gotten uh, a bit of a niche market going uh, as far as prints are concerned, but you know now that my computer's back up and running, thank God, because for the past few weeks I've had a lot of computer issues, had to completely yeah. nuke my hard drive and rebuild it. No um, kidding. Thankfully, I didn't lose too much data, but you know it's like all the people that have been waiting on prints from me, it's like. You know, I sent them all a message, letting them know what was going on. Um, but it's like, it, it was such a setback, man. It set me back a solid three weeks. So it's like, I'm just getting to the point where I can start working on the color corrections for those people that ordered prints back in December. Um, yeah. Which sucks that, you know, I've had to make them wait so long, but there's not really too much I can do about that at this point. It's like, I'm just now getting back up and running. I'm sorry, but this is kind of the way that things go sometimes. You know, are there any seminars uh, or any discussion panels outside of the one that we're having today about, you know, how to, as, as a tax group, because it is, it's a unique business. Um, and the ones that, you know, the high-end professionals that involve themselves and take the time to, you know, the time they spend on their practice and everything, the work that they do, and all the time that they put into it. So is there anything like, for like dealing with, with stress outside of that, like external factors, uh, and then how to, you know, circumvent those things or circumnavigate those things and still be able to apply yourself? Uh, in the way that you want to attach them. Has there ever been any like uh, discussions or groups involving that type like, of thing? Like dealing with stress on a, you know, outside of the tattoo world? Correct. And then having it affect your, your you know what I mean, tattooing itself or the time that you spend doing it. Just trying to find like a balance. Like, I mean, it's it's fine with, with working out and doing things like that and you know, exercising, eating right, or taking time to paint on your do all of these things but just handling you know any type of external factors and then 
how to deal with those while still putting in the time and effort that you know our type of work kind of demands. That's a good question, and I don't think that there is. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that there currently is. I mean, there, knowing so, that we all maybe, deal with stress in different ways. Yeah, I mean, you never know, but knowing that we all deal with stress in different ways from different situations, and we all have our preferred outlets for stress of all types, you know, kind of makes it to yeah. me a little bit more of a personal thing as opposed to an overarching yeah. thing. I know some people that like to go out and shoot guns, yeah. go for it. It's not my so preferred method. But, yeah. You know, if that's what right. helps them out, then I don't see an issue with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once again, to me, it's a very personal kind of thing. How much time would you say you spend uh, devoting to your, your personal artwork as opposed to clients? Lately in the past few weeks, uh, just, just because I've been dealing with a lot of like technical issues, um, I haven't really had too much time. Uh, but on a good week, I would like to say that I try to spend, you know, maybe 10 hours, maybe more, uh, maybe 10 to 15 per week, just working on my own personal stuff. Um, you know, once again, that's a good week. On average, I'd say probably closer to like six to eight. Just because. How much sleep are you getting? Like, are you, are you a, a night owl? Are you up working late? Or? I'm usually up pretty late. Um, usually 12, 31 o'clock. You yeah. know, at the earliest. Um, I'm not a very big morning person. Uh, I find that I, in the mornings, I'm just not quite as productive. Um, sure. I like to have that momentum behind me where, you know, it's kind of like I've been working all day. I've got this momentum built up throughout the day, you know, and yeah. I want to keep that going as long as I possibly can. Oh, yeah. So for me, it's it's a very big. Um, it, it's a very big thing to try to keep that going as long as humanly possible, because I know that once I'm down, I'm out. Like there's yeah. no coming back from it. Once that momentum stops, it it takes a lot for me to pick it back up. Yeah, I have the same same thing. Want to keep once the ball's rolling, you don't want to stop it. Keep keep it going. Sure. Yeah. I don't I even mean, necessarily sometimes like to stop to eat because I feel like that just yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you just feel like by even just by stopping to eat, it's going to interrupt that momentum. Yeah, yeah you got to keep hanging on to that flow state. Yeah. Absolutely. So I try to, you know, really maximize the amount of time that I have. Um, if I get the opportunity to multitask and like work on something while, you know, say I've got an, a cancellation that day, rather than going through and like, sit around and waiting for walk-ins i'll pull up something or i'll work on you know appointments that i have coming up if everything i have is drawn up ready to go for all of my appointments for that week cool now's my time to sit down and work on stuff that i want to do um yeah. you know but i always i've got so many irons in the fire and so many side projects that literally i 
there's something for me to work work on at all times. So, you know, I don't, I only know a few people out there that don't operate like that as artists. Most people I know, they, they have several paintings going on at once. They have things that have been going on for years that they just don't revisit every now and again. They have, you know, uh, uh, more, you know, current projects that they're kind of, you know, kicking out on a, on a regular basis. Uh, it's, I think it's important to have, I mean, you know, for me anyway, and I, I can certainly understand and appreciate that approach as you put it, having you know, a lot of irons in the fire because when you, when you finish one project, it allows, like we are just saying about keeping that momentum going, you take it from one project and you're like, all right, well, now I'll work on this other one since I'm already you know, going. You don't have to sit and stare at a blank canvas. You, know, you already have one right. ready to go. So my major so issue, in like you know, if you, if you see the end of the site for one project, you might start. Yeah, my my biggest problem is that I have so many ideas and so many projects that I want to do, that it's prioritizing. Because if it was up to me, I would sit and I would paint all day long. Um, I've got yeah. so many painting projects that I would love to do, I would love to accomplish, and I would love to just knock out, but. You know, it's like, okay, well, I can't really work on that right now because I've got, you know, four appointments I have to get drawn up for the next week or two. I've got this other person that, you know, is a, say they're a close friend or whatever. And it's like, okay, they want me to draw something up and then they're going to make the appointment. I know that they're going to come through once everything is drawn up, but it's like, right. now I have to sit down and actually create that image. I want to do a full value rendering on it. So that that way I know, like, I can show them, hey, this is what I have in my head. You know, what what are your thoughts and when do you want to come in for it? Because I know no matter what I draw up, they're going to be okay with. But it's like, those are yeah. the clients that I really want to put the most effort into. Because those are the people that are really going to let me push the boundaries and create something that I'm really going to be enthusiastic about. So it's like, okay, well, now I've got to deal with that and I've got to work on that and that in and of itself is like a work of art so it's like okay let me spend a little bit of time working on that instead of doing this um so it gets to be very distracting but if it was if left to my own devices man I'd just sit and paint all day um but I have to prioritize yeah. certain things and that's kind of a downer sometimes but you know that's kind of the nature of the beast there's not really too much we can do about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try to dedicate typically as much time as I possibly can to working on my own artwork every week, just because for me, that's my stress relief. That's how I deal with a lot of stressors in my life. You know, if say yeah. I've got a shit week or, you know, like every single person cancels that week and I'm just like feeling down about it, like, oh man, what happened? You know, could I have done something different? Like what's going on with that? You know, it's like, okay, well, you know what, let me sit down. I'm going to focus on this painting and I'm going to work on this a little bit more and I'm going to let my subconscious deal with it. And I know everything's going to work out fine in the end. It's just, I really just wanted to kind of 
you know, knock this out of the park or, you know, it was something I really wanted to work on, but now I have to wait to work on it. You know, so yeah. for me, it, that's how I deal with my stress, but I also try to gear my entire life to being as stress-free as humanly possible. Yeah. So I'm kind of in a unique position. I know a lot of people that are out there that, you know, uh, they kind of set themselves up for stress and it sucks to see them yeah. struggle with it. But it's like, if there are certain things that you can do to really help eliminate that. And a lot of it comes down to just forcing yourself to do all of the stuff that you really don't want to do. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of stress in people's lives come from. Yeah. Not taking care of things that, you know, acting like they don't exist. You know, trust them. They, they just end up accumulating and then you find it difficult you know, difficult task to try and sort through and prioritize a whole stack of things that you never really want to do in the first place that need to be done as opposed to just doing them as they come prioritizing ahead of time exactly you know but if you take care of what needs to be done when it needs to be done and you, you know, sit back and say, you know what, I really don't want to do this, but I've got to get it done. And it's got to be done now, because if it doesn't get done now, I'm going to put it on the back burner and then nothing's going to come of it. If you sit down and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Screw it. I'll be fine. I'll make it work. It's just, it's got to get done now. Um, yeah. And you just sit down and you hammer it out and you just deal with it. A lot of times that eliminates a lot of stress in people's lives. So yeah. I try to do that as often as I possibly can, just because I know it's going to pay itself off in the end. You know what? Actually, uh, I'm sure you can relate to this. You know what tends to eliminate some stress in my life is the actual act of just tattooing. Oh, absolutely. Five minutes in a tattoo everything else just melts away. Even if they, I'm stressed, my client's running late, you know, I need to make too many changes to the stencil or, you know, any multitude of other things going on at that time in my life. When I'm focused and I'm sitting there, it's just me and my client, everything else is just, it's just missed passing by. I, I don't even notice it. Well, that's because that's our passion in life, right? That's what we want to do. You know, I paint mostly because if I were to spend every waking hour of every day tattooing, I don't know if it would still have the same kind of passion. Yeah. I know it would, and I would still be passionate about it, but I don't know if it would still have the same kind of impact. So I sure. have to find alternate mediums to work with in order to maintain that kind of, for me, stress relief, um, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So I found mediums to work in like secondary mediums that are very close to tattooing. Um, but that's kind of the way that I've built my life, you know, but I completely agree when you sit down and you get into that flow state, when you're working on a piece, especially if it's one that's super challenging for you, yeah. maybe it's something outside your normal wheelhouse or maybe it's something that, you know, you don't really get to do a whole lot of. So now you really want to crush it awesome that's the way that it needs to be right and you're right the world fades away all of your problems fade away and you're like you know what life isn't bad it yeah. is 
no matter what's going on or what's got you down, it's really not bad. So can you talk a little bit about using those water brushes? Are you, uh, uh is the, that these water pens? Yeah. I love these things, man. This I've is how I made it through college. I've, so I've used them before in the past and I've, I've used them with just water in there. I've used them with in there. Um, how are you using them right now? Is that loaded with purple? No. So this is just pure water. Um, and I use this, I'll go through and um, I work in a very traditional kind of way with these liquid acrylics and liquid inks. Um, those, what is, are those that you're using now? Uh, so this is a Pentel water brush. Um, this is just a medium tip. I also have a flat tip over here if I need to use that. And a, uh, a number three round from Princeton Art Brush Company. Um, it's the 4050 series. Uh, absolutely love them. They hold a great amount of pigment. Uh, they've got a bit of snap, but it's not overwhelming. Uh, yeah. So it's not going to be super, super stiff. But typically speaking, what I like to do is I'll squeeze it a little bit to get a little bit of water into the bristles, especially if they've been sitting around for a little while like these guys have. Um, I'll lay down a little area of water, hit that with a drop of paint, and then I'll use my water brush to kind of move it around and thin it out so I can get these perfect blends and fades. So you're dipping the water pen directly into the I mean, I can. Um, I like to use my standard brush to hold the actual paint. Okay. Um, and then I'll use this to kind of thin it out and create those gradients. So for example, if I wanted to go back into this area, um, I would go through and I would dip into my paint here. So this is now loaded with purple and I've got this, this is just pure water. Um, and I need to make this area just a touch darker. So I'm gonna go through and I'll do a tiny bit of paint right there. And then I'll take my water pen and I'll use the tip, but I'll use it at an angle just to kind of like flow it out and create a bigger area of gradient. And I'll just drag that out to where I need it to be. Now, the liquid ink that I'm using on this typically dries a bit on the lighter side. So I know I have to go through and do multiple layers of it, which is fine for me because I like to work in layers, just like I would be if I was oil painting, only this is a much more portable medium. So I like to go through and say, I'll do a layer of purple and then a layer of pink or a layer of red or blue, depending on what color I need to create. So I'll build up these colors in different layers, just like I was working with an oil paint for glazing. And I'll just build that up to be exactly the tone I need it to be. Um, typically speaking, I don't run into any issues with degradation of the paper. Uh, occasionally, if I'm doing too many washes or too many layers, I'll run into that. But uh, for the what most about part, osmosis of the ink? I'm sorry. What about osmosis of the ink back up in the brush? Um, typically, doesn't happen because these have a constant flow of water coming down into them. So okay. if I need a fresh brush tip, I just have my paper towel handy and I just wipe it off. You know, you if there's any kind of osmosis. Um, 
I don't usually typically notice it because the water is constantly flowing down and out. So it's not like it's going to dry out too much and soak up too much uh, paint, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Sure. And what kind of ink are you using right now? Uh, so this is actually a Liquitex acrylic-based ink. Uh, so when it dries, it's permanent, which is great because that allows me to create multiple layers. Um, but it's not, it's not like it's um, like a typical watercolor because a typical watercolor, you would be able to go back into it and reactivate it. Sure. And I'm Which actually makes it trying... more closely related to tattoo. Right. Yeah. Well, it does, but it doesn't in a sense because if you reactivate typical watercolor, um, it what it can do is you can actually lift it off of the paper and basically remove it. Yeah. But with the acrylic-based ink, when it's there, it's there. Yeah. There's no getting rid of it. There's no erasing it. Sometimes if you get a heavy enough white, you can paint over top of it. Yeah. But typically speaking when it's there it's permanent and it's not going anywhere and i'm actually getting ready to try I, uh, a different liquid acrylic right now waverly japanese pink liquid nice. acrylic oh there you go bill's colors i love yep. bill uh the um i've seen people like marty sometimes will do this marty uh Lacasse will use a uh like a white wash or sometimes even you were just breaking up there for a second man uh, sorry he does will do white highlights using wash or attaching pigment on top of our fish yeah and that's that's a great way to do it too. Gouache is great because it's an opaque liquid-based watercolor um, that's you know very easy to work with. Um, it's not always light fast though, and that's a problem that I've run into before. So you have sure. to make sure that what you're using is perfectly light fast. Um, otherwise, yeah, I've used gouache plenty of times in the past and it's great stuff, perfectly portable. Um, works just like watercolor, but it's opaque. So it, you can cover up other colors once it's dry, depending on the gouache. Um, you also run into that situation where, you know, say you're using gouache over a regular watercolor, you're going to reactivate that watercolor once it gets wet. And that's not what you want because then the two colors are going to mix. So uh, I'm starting to break up here. I'm driving through Dickman through New York. Gotcha. Um, so I may have to sign off here. That's okay because I don't know how much longer, like how much more time we've got today. I'm going to play around with this Waverly Japanese pink real quick and try to throw some of this into these crystals and see what I think. Um, I love the color though. It's like super neon. Yeah. 
Yeah, kind of messy though. And they tend to dry out pretty quickly, but they are acrylic based. So that's good because when they're there, they're there. Right. They're not going to go anywhere. I will uh, talk to you uh, later on, Jason. Uh, Sounds good, Seth. All Hit right, me man. up, man. Thanks Let me know. And uh, let's get together and do dinner sometime. I will, man. It was great to see you at the convention. I will definitely do that. Oh, without question, man. Without question. All right. Have a good one. All right. Take care, bud. Later. Bye. Uh, so this should be an interesting experiment. I don't think I've used this color to paint before, so we are going to find out what it's like. What you working on over there, Kyle? I am just about to swap projects. Actually, I was working on this little sunrise mountain here for a Ooh. bit. Love it. Just doing a little bit of a glaze. Yeah, I was just pretty much tightening um, all the rock features, adding these little, there we go, sorry, adding these little egg sack doodads in there. Ooh, very nice. Let me spotlight yeah. you so everyone can take a look. Now, is that all wet on wet, or did you do a few layers and let those dry, and then do a few layers and let those dry? Do a few layers, let it dry. Do a few layers, let it dry. Very nice. Yeah. And then I've got this bigger guy that I'm about to switch to. Let me turn this around. So I got this guy started as well. I'm about to put another layer on. Very nice. Snake skull? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a reference from a video game, so loosely based off the snake skull. And then okay. I started with just a color block in, and then now the goal is to tighten some values in a bit, desaturate some of the colors, pretty much right just darken on. it up right now. Now, are you going to go through after you darken the colors, let that dry, and then do a layer of white to really pump your whites in there? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much okay. just keep, in, keep pushing and pulling it until I feel satisfied with it. Right on. Yeah. And that's all uh, acrylic or is that oil? It's all oil. Nice. Yeah, that, um, that actually inspires me. I should probably break out my oils and uh, crank out some more of these skull paintings that I started working on last year. Actually, technically... Uh, last October, October or November, I started working on them. Um, I've got two of them done. I just need to do my final varnish. Right. Uh, but you know, for me, for me, working with oils is always fun, but it, once again, it's time consuming. And if you lose momentum with it, it's kind of gone. Um, for me, at least just because yeah. my setup's kind of crazy. Um, I actually got like a artist tabaret set up with, uh, believe it or not, a monitor extension arm uh, that I can put a steel baking tray on top of with a piece of glass in the baking tray to create my own like movable palette. 
Oh, okay. it works really, really well. Um, maybe next week uh, I'll be working with oils and I'll show you guys how I have my setup going. Um, maybe I'll get it set up tonight or tomorrow and I'll uh, post a quick picture on uh, the gram for it. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I'd love to see that. Yeah, it works out pretty well. Um, I've got a couple of little jars, one of um, one of my uh, not mineral spirit, mineral spirits. Um, I forget what the name of it is, but Gamsol, I think it is. Um, I've got one jar filled with that and one jar filled with soapy water to kind of rinse my brushes off after I dip it into the Gansol and clean them. Um, Cause I'm neurotic about my oil paint brushes. I do not want those. I've spent a lot of money on them. I do not want them to die on me and get all crusty. Cheaper brushes, fine, whatever. But you know, when you drop a decent hunk of money on some really nice oil brushes that are the really nice bristle kind, but are super flexible that have like a lifetime guarantee. You, typically you want to keep those in pretty good shape. Yeah. The, so, uh, the last night here um, that we had at Red Tree, one of the artists came up to me. He was like, what are you doing with your brushes? Cause I have like all the, it was like some cheaper brushes and I wasn't really sure of like how to properly apply paint. So I had like, it was, you know, just all frayed and worn out already. And he's showing me his brushes. He's like, you gotta, you gotta have better control with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brushes are a very significant investment for a lot of artists. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you take care of them, they will take care of you and they will last you a lifetime. But mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you buy less expensive brushes, which is fine. I know some artists out there that do absolutely unbelievable work with like, you know, play school paint brushes, um, you know, the super ultra cheap, like, you know, you get them in a kid's paint set kind of brushes and they're doing unbelievable work with them, uh, you know, for oils, acrylics, whatever, but it's, you know, that's fine. But those are usually typically thrown out after you get done with a painting because I mean, they're pretty much just purposefully disposable. But me, I'd rather make one, a one-time investment rather than having to buy brushes all the time. But that's also me. And I'm very picky with my brushes. I have certain brands I like and certain brands that uh, tend to stay away from. Right. I'm kind of like in the experimentation phase of it all, just trying to figure out a, what kind of brush I like, but also, you know, how to properly take care of them before I like really invest in some good brushes. That way I don't go and just like wreck them right off the bat. Exactly. I remember I did that when I was back in college. I uh, went out and I saved up as much money as I could. And I went out and I got this wonderful, large flat brush. Um, and I think I spent like 50 or $60 on the one brush and uh, used it for a class, but I I didn't take care of it the way that I should have. And I go to pick it up for the next class and it's stiff as a board. And I'm like, uh, wait, what? What just happened here? And uh, professor came over and they were like, wanna tell me how you cleaned it? And I told them and they were like, yeah, that's not gonna clean it right. 
So they went through how to preserve your brushes and everything like that. Really helped. Man, this pink is really doing awesome. I am really digging the, uh, the vibrance of this pink. It's like super neon paint. It's a shame it's not coming through on the camera as vibrant as it is, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's looking great. Yeah, right now I'm just trying to use this just to accent certain parts. I'm not trying to like smother the whole thing with it. That way it keeps that like nice radiant glow only in the spots that it needs it. Keep some of it on reserve. Yeah, I like how you can really see that shine in the bottle too with like how little it's developed. It's already got that contrast in there to already, you know, make it visible. Yeah, well, so this, this big old highlight here, believe it or not, that's all masking fluid. Oh, okay. So I'll use some masking fluid um, just to go through and create those ultra bright shines that I want to preserve. Uh, just because if I don't do that, I know that with how I paint, I'm not going to be super careful with it. So I'm not trying to lose that. And as much as I don't like to use masking fluid, because I really don't, um, I will use it for certain projects for certain pieces. Why do you not like to use masking fluid, Jason? Um, I don't like to use it just because I find it's not the most accurate and I end up having to go back through with white anyway, just to even out certain spots. Um, maybe I just don't use it the right way, or maybe there's a trick that I have yet to learn with it, but it works when I need it to um, for the most part, but it's never like a perfectly crisp curve. It's never the perfect like shape that I need it to be. So it, uh, right. yeah, it's just because it's of like, the, okay. like, the viscosity of the, exactly. the fluid itself. Right? Yeah. Those reflections look, uh, look beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I took a little bit of time and kind of studied the way that light reflects off of crystals and bottles and uh, contours and you know I've just been trying to incorporate that more and more I think next week if I go through and I work on this next week I'll start adding in a lot of the um, the bright seafoam teal from the bottom okay. and blend blending that up into the top because um, the way that the image is that I have it created it starts out with like a super dark violet at the bottom and then blends its way into this super vibrant, like neon green teal towards right. the top portion of it. 
And then same thing back here, it would blend from the purple into that neon green violet. Um, and then I've gotten just enough room around the exterior that I'm gonna go through and do like this vibrant glow behind it of that same color. Nice. So it's just a matter of I just don't have the colors out I need right now in order to continue working on it. But I so is it for is it for tattoo design or? Uh, so it is. This is actually a design that I started on one of my coworkers, um, and I've got a couple hours left to go in it uh, just to like pump in the background. But I already outlined everything and I started the color on it the other night. Uh, we got about four hours into it and uh, it was time to close up. So it was like, okay, well, you're done for the night. Mm -hmm. I'm not, not planning on staying here super late to finish the whole thing. Plus they were hurting a lot and it's like, all right, well, as much as, I mean, getting tattoos does hurt. Like I'm not that much of a sadist that I really enjoy hurting people. No. Well, four hours is quite a long time as well. Yeah, exactly. Whereabouts yeah. is that like a, a back piece or? A uh, calf. Calf. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. kind of had to adjust the proportions a little bit to get it to fit the right spot, but it's actually sitting on the back of her calf. Um, a little bit higher up just because she's got the smallest calves that you could ever imagine. The actual design itself is only about four inches wide. So Oof, it's, cranky. yeah, it's way, Tight. it's about half size of this. Right. Um, which wasn't fun for me because I really wanted to do it much, much bigger. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I'm working with limited rooms. So yeah, yeah. like, okay, well, if this is the space you have available, we'll work with it. But I actually just had my one coworker hit me up and uh, they were wondering when we could get started working on their back piece. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, about that. Let me finish drawing it first. <laughs> uh, completely kind of spaced that one out. Sorry, but uh, I'll get to it sometime in the next week or two. So I have to crank that out. But that one's going to be a blast. We're going to do a big old praying mantis. Nice. And I think I'm going to do like an Art Nouveau kind of um, uh, sun disc behind it with like an ornament. Uh, maybe made out of like other parts of a praying mantis. I'll probably use that for inspiration. But, but that'll, be, uh, that'll be an absolutely that'll be an absolute blast to do we're gonna go uh neck to bottom of the butt cheeks Ooh, um, so nice. we've got just enough room and it's going to be the perfect size proportion um and the perfect dimensions for that mm -hmm. because especially if you're working large scale i always try to stay with something that's a bit taller than it is uh wide i try to avoid standard like squared off ratios just because it's not visually appealing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, the most visually appealing shapes that there are out there involve the golden triangle um, and the golden spiral. So I try to make sure that everything's in proportion to that. Um, you know, try to get as much of the Fibonacci sequence in there as I can. 
it just makes it for a much more visually interesting piece. And do you do you sort of like consciously like set about with that right? like stage one in the drawing? Yeah, pretty much. Um, if someone comes to me for something pretty large scale, I always tr immediately the first thing I think of is, okay, how big is this going to be? That's always number one. Number two is how many different diagonals can I get in this? Because diagonal um, shapes and diagonal lines create a sense of visual movement. Um, and the other thing is, where do I want my emphasis to be? You know, for example, the tiger and the samurai uh, drawing that I showed off earlier, that yeah. was very easy. I asked them, you know, okay, what do you want to be your primary focus? What do you want to be your emphasis? And what do you want to be secondary and third? Um, they really wanted the tiger. That was like their primary emphasis behind it. But they also wanted something, you know, a bit more on the Japanese side. And I said, okay, cool. Let's do a samurai. But because the samurai is going to be secondary, we'll push that into the background a little bit more. Um, and we'll make that a bit of a lighter value so that that way it doesn't compete with the tiger itself. Um, from there, I go through and I make sure everything's in the right proportion, try to figure out where I really want people to look at things. Like what, what do I want people to look at the most and then next and then next, because that's going to depend on what gets put in the middle of that golden spiral. Okay. Because, right. Yeah. 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 So by figuring out your primary element first and then what you really want people to look at. You know, where do you want most of your detail to be? That's what I'm going to put there. Um, you know, I also try to use the Jeff Gogway method of large scale tattoo design. And that's using like a nine, a nine square grid where you go through and you make sure that there's at least one thing that's visually interesting in every portion of that grid. And that also tends to help quite a bit. So what was that, a three, like a three by three uh, grid? Correct. So it's got nine squares. Uh, okay. Yeah, so you do, when you break things down into thirds, it also really, really helps draw the eye because as long as everything's visually interesting and there's one thing visually interesting in each part, you know you're on the right track. You know, I've also spent a bit of time, you know, really studying because I've been obsessed with large scale tattoos since I really started, like really, really looked into it, took as many seminars, did as much research as I could on them. Like what, what do I have to consider? What's a good large scale tattoo? What makes for a great large scale tattoo? Why do some large scale tattoos look better than others? But that's because I prefer to work large scale. People that like to work smaller, which is totally fine. It's a personal preference thing. But people that tend to work smaller don't always have to take a lot of that into consideration because they're not going to have quite as much visual area to take up. Um, so they might not have to think about, okay, well, what's in this square? What's in this square? How does this part flow with this part? Um, is this on the right visual plane? 
is this, uh, you know, what angle are people going to be viewing this at? Right, yeah. You know, Light sources and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. Because if you're working, say, a, a smaller one-shot tattoo, like, believe it or not, this is, I'm not really worried so much about overall curvature. I'm not worried so much about having the right visual flow to it. I know it fits the area well, and that's going to be my primary emphasis behind it. Um, but because I know it's not going to be a large scale tattoo, I know that I'm going to be kind of limited with the elements I can put into it, how detailed they can be and, you know, what my layout's going to be like. So, and I mean, I have started to really take a step back and do a lot smaller pieces lately. Um, just to kind of work on a few technical things, you know, color saturation and blends, um, utilizing correct light sources and glows. That, that one really threw me off for a little while. But, you know, it's nice to do smaller stuff, even if they're not one-shot pieces. Like, unfortunately, this isn't a one-shot piece, but it could have been if we had had the time for it. Um, taking a step back every now and then and just focusing on smaller one-shot designs can really help you reevaluate technical aspects and try out different techniques. Mm. Especially if you've got, you know, four different people lined up for full sleeves in the next week. And then you've got one guy who wants to come in and extend from a sleeve onto his chest piece. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's cool and all, but like, where am I going to fit, fit in this small little one-shot guy? Uh, but you find a way to make it work. That's good. I just want that accent there. And I think we're about out of time for today. Jason, do you mind if I just um, uh, um, ask you a question about um, uh, an ink color that I've been, um, uh, I don't know, trying to, trying to figure out. Sure um, Cool. Uh, so I've been trying to figure out some colors uh, and I've been using Eternal Ink uh, okay. and I used so I've been on like practice skin just to sort of see what works next to each other. Uh, and I used a color called Freshly Dead. It's one of a zombie, um, it's in the zombie range. Uh, right. in, in, the, uh, in the tube, it looked, you know, just like it does, you know, sort of uh, on, the, uh, on the color wheel or what have you. And then as soon as I put it into uh, the, uh, what's it called? Um, da, 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 the artificial skin. It was just com much darker than the uh, than the 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 tube. Have you ever come across anything like that, or is that like quite a, a few realistic... times? Right. Um, there's certain colors out there. Like I've noticed it with um, Solid Inks uh, Bordeaux, which in the bottle looks like a very very dark, like cool, like alizarin crimson. 
but when you actually apply it to the skin, it it's actually more just like a very dark pink. Okay. Um, so there are certain colors that look way more appealing in the bottle um, <laughs> than they do in the skin. And that's, you know, it's not untypical. Um, I'm also that kind of person where it's like, okay, I'll pour this color. And if this isn't the right color, then I'll mix whatever I have to, to make it the right color. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes that involves a little bit of white. Sometimes that involves maybe a bit of yellow ochre. Maybe it involves a little bit of um, like a pinkish tone or a little bit more of an orange. Mm -hmm. uh, you never really quite know, but it also depends on the base color that you're starting out with. Some, yeah, yeah. Some practice skins are a different tone. Um, and I mean, that color may look the way that it does, say if it's on white paper, but when you put it on top of any other color, uh, especially like a flesh tone, it's probably going to change the value a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, just because it's so, so, so well, supposedly because it's just so liquidy. Right. It's like, it, well, yeah, yeah, it's not a... Yeah. And the more translucent it is, the more that underlying skin tone is going to be picked up. And there's no, that's, yeah, you just trial and error. And like you say, you, if, if you've got the necessary uh, equipment on the day and you put something in and it's like, ah, ah, that's not looking right, then you can, uh, you can use your experience to make something uh, different. Now, I will say this. If you just pour it out and it's mm. completely different, one thing that I've picked up on, especially with certain colors from certain companies, mm -hmm. sometimes what you have to actually do is really, really shake the absolute right. yeah, crap yeah. out of the bottle. <laughs> yeah. um, because over time, as colors do sit and a lot of the pigment companies probably won't tell you this, but it's something that when you start talking to distributors and people that work behind the scenes at a lot of places, if a color isn't always that popular, it'll sit on the shelf for a while and it'll start to separate. Right, when those yeah. colors start to separate, that's when you start to get a lot of those color discrepancies. Mm -hmm. There's also certain companies out there and I'm not trying to name any names or anything like that, but there are certain companies out there that will go through and it's almost like they decide on a whim to make a bad batch of color where it's not consistent across the board. Um, I've met several artists that have actually come across that with colors like golden yellow, right? Where, they might buy a bottle and one day it'll be a little bit too much on the canary side. And the next time they buy it, it's a little bit too orange. And the time after that, it's a little bit too dull. And it's right, like, yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes these companies don't keep colors standardized and it, it really, really sucks. Mm. But once again, there's not too much we can really do about that. Um, my suggestion would be either a, Try shaking the absolute crap out of the bottle and see if you can break up any more of that powder at the bottom of it. Yeah, if that yeah. doesn't do it, then try buying a second bottle of it and see if that changes. 
And if that doesn't do it, use that as like a bass tone to start with and then mix whatever you need to on uh, top of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're definitely right about the shaking. Um, uh, I did that, um, yeah, because I just shook it up for like a minute or so. And then once I'd realized it wasn't sort of looking very good, I turned the bottle upside down and, and you could actually see, you know, like the last five millimeters of, uh, uh, you know, the bottle was still like, you know, thick and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, OK, give that another shake then. So there's um, there's actually a little trick um, and it's something that I was kind of clued into a few years back. Go on Amazon do a quick Amazon search for a laboratory test tube shaker or agitator. Right. No lie. No lie. And get one of those. You can get them. They run at like 3,500 RPMs. You All can right. search for the same thing. That's like a tattoo ink mixer. Right. But it's exactly the same thing as a, a test tube agitator. Right. It's going to, yeah, yeah. you put the bottom of the bottle on there and it's going to vibrate at a super high RPM and it's going to help break up that like last little bit at the bottom of a bottle right. to the point that like when you go to actually shake it and mix it up, everything will start to mix up. Right. Okay. And you don't, you, you don't have to like hold it in place or anything like that. You can just like. No, you, you, of... you put it on there and you press it down on the top of it. Mm -hmm. And you'll feel it start to vibrate. Right. Um, let me see if I can actually pull one up real quick. I think I've seen one of them. I've seen like a, a tattoo specific sort of thing. And it's like a hundred bucks or something like that. And I was like, nah, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You add the word tattoo onto anything and automatically increase the price by like 150, 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can do uh, so. I just found one for forty dollars. Here's another one for forty six. Uh, okay. Paint mixer for forty five. You can get the real industrial ones that like you strap it in and it shakes it for you. I always worry about those though because if that twist cap isn't on perfectly, you've got you've got it going everywhere, and that is just a mess you do not want to clean up. Uh, can you imagine? Yeah, but um, there's a whole bunch of different kinds. The mini vortex mixer is great. Um, uh, Four thousand RPM lab vortex uh, shaker with touch function. Ooh. That one's good. It's rechargeable. Uh, there's all different kinds, but seriously, don't ever put in like tattoo ink mixer or anything like that. Always right, yeah. go for like what they started out as in the tattoo world. We have appropriated so many things. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, I mean, look at a uh, tattoo foot switch, right? Those used to be telegraph keys. Uh, okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Simple on off connection, no connection. Right. Mm -hmm. But we call them tattoo foot switches, but they started off as telegraph keys, you know, mm -hmm. so you can go through and we've appropriated all different types of stuff like cosmetic lights. Those are now tattoo lights. Cool. Yeah, yeah, shakers. Yeah. Those used to yeah. be test tube shakers. Um, you know, it's, it's like, 
we take everything and if you add the word tattoo onto it just increase yeah. the value because they know they can get the money out of us that's it awesome All right thank you very much jason you've been invaluable you are um, very welcome as always sir yeah yeah i i haven't i've sort of i haven't been sort of tuning in for a year uh just because uh just been like super busy um good but it, well, yeah, but it's also nice to sort of, um, uh, I don't know, um, yeah, yeah, hear, you know, sort of hear, hear different, yeah, yeah, and get a different sort of opinion, you know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, you can sort of just end up hearing the same things and, uh, you know, uh, it is, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's good to, good to see you again. And um, oh, uh, I shall, uh, I'll tune in again next week, hopefully, if I can. Absolutely. You are always welcome to. Okay. It's always great having you on here. Cheers, Jason. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave the meeting now then. Okay. You're awesome. you sort of take showing, care. Yeah, you showing up now anyway? Yep, yep. Just about to. Awesome. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. How do I do this? All right. All right, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in today. Um, Kyle, I don't know if you're still there or not. Um, oh, you are. Yay. Hey, Kyle. Doing some research in the background here. Uh-oh. What are you researching? Uh, just trying to find a good bone color to work off for the skull here. Ah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, if you want to go through, I'll spotlight you real quick, and you can tell everyone uh, how to reach you. Sure, yeah. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can hit me up on Instagram at Skies of Fire Tattoo. Uh, yeah, just doing art. Check me out. That's pretty much it. Thanks to Jason for posting this and giving me the opportunity to just hang out. Awesome. You're always welcome, man. And thanks for jumping in today. Always appreciated. And I'm going to go through and let's do this. And there we go. So thanks for joining in today, guys. Um, as always, if you guys ever want to jump in, you're always free and welcome to. If you like today's episode, by all means, hit that like and subscribe button down at the bottom if you're on YouTube. Uh, this way you get the opportunity to tune in every time we go live. Um, it's also a good way so that you don't miss your favorite shows, including today's. If you have um, you know, any good experiences or any questions for the next show, by all means, Feel free to drop us a comment and we'll be happy to get back to you. Other than that, thank you very much for tuning in. Take care. Have a wonderful day.